Frustration over climate change is reaching a boiling point. And that's not just a metaphor. It's a 95-degree October day here in Washington, D.C. But in the wake of national and international gridlock on climate issues, could cities be the ones to save us? In this episode, two mayors from opposite sides of the Atlantic are at the table to discuss the role of cities in confronting climate change. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded at GMF's Brussels Forum over the summer, and it's led by Stephen Bosacker, the director of GMF's Cities Program. This is Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast about how the world was, is, and will be ordered. Hello, I'm Stephen Bosacker, the Director of Urban Policy at the German Marshall Fund. I can be a shameless advocate for the role cities play in solving for global problems. One such issue where cities have stepped up around the globe to take a lead with tangible and innovative actions is climate change. And today, we're honored to have with us two mayors from cities that are taking specific actions to kick their carbon habit and make a wholesale transition to renewable energy. No small task. So let's get to our conversation with Mayor Mark McGovern from Cambridge, Massachusetts in the United States, and Mayor Eckert Versner from Heidelberg, Germany. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. To get things rolling, I'd like each of you to briefly answer three questions, and then we'll move into a give-and-take conversation just among us. One, please tell us how long you've served as mayor. Two, share one thing you wish more people knew about your city. And three, what inspires you or where do you get your inspiration to work on climate change issues? Let's start with Mayor McGovern from Cambridge. Sure. Thank you. I have been mayor for a year and a half of a two-year term. Um, what would I like people to know more about Cambridge? This is going to be odd because it's not necessarily something to brag about. Everyone, when they think of Cambridge, thinks of Harvard, MIT, uh, a lot of prosperity. But what people don't think of is that we have a higher poverty rate than the state mm. average that our homeless population is increasing, that death by overdose has increased, and that we have a lot of people in our city who are not realizing the prosperity that surrounds others. And so I want people to know that because we still have a lot of work to do. Good for um, you. That's bold. Yeah, well, I admire that. It's, I'm a social worker in <laughs> okay, background, so these go. are the people I fight for every day. Uh, and then the last question was— Last uh, question is what inspires what, you or what, where do you get your inspiration to work on climate issues? Yeah, um, I have four children. And I am really concerned about the world that they will inherit. We have a lot of local organizations, one in particular called Mothers Out Front, which is a local activist group that is now going national that started by three or four women sitting around a kitchen table to address climate change. Very cool. And uh, they really inspire me because it's really grassroots and they've turned themselves into a powerhouse. Great. Thank you. Let's turn to Mayor Versner of Heidelberg. Yes, I'm now 12 years mayor of this wonderful city called Heidelberg. Before, I was an advisor for the mayor in the field of as an, as an environmental scientist, uh, was uh, deputy mayor for environment, energy and health. So I'm working long time in giving support and supporting any activities to getting into a more sustainable movement on the city's level. Now I'm a responsible position and it's totally different because now you have all the instruments in your hand and you notice it's not so easy to implement them because the awareness is there 
but uh, you have a league of money, you have a league of uh, national engagement or supranational engagement. You have also persons who are not believing still in climate change, but this number is very low in Heidelberg. So a lot has to be done, creating more awareness, but setting up clear commitments, clear targets, and clear target-based policy. This is my mission. And when you're talking about Heidelberg, everybody knows Heidelberg. Globally, we have about 10 million uh, tourists each year. Most of them coming because of the beauty of the city and the castle. But most of the people didn't really know that we are the science city in Germany. Uh, and science is our a fundament for creating also our climate change programs. And anything in particular personally that inspires you about the climate work? I think it's a great chance if you have tools really where you have the possibility to change a lot. So you have the tool to raise more awareness with your citizens. You're working together with kids, with school kids, with their parents. You get the support by the city council. You have the possibility to work together with the companies. And if you're going in such a direct linked policy, sure. you can change a lot sure. if you do so you feel very happy. Also, if we have to say that we have to go much stronger in this direction, there is a, a great uh, opportunity for you as a mayor to have this direct link and not just working for paper. Well, a lot of talk about how cities are becoming the rock stars of climate change. And based on both your performances just a bit ago, I think that you might be among the stars. Um, and really with good reason. It is where most of the action to reduce CO2 or carbon emissions and getting rid of fossil fuels is taking place. In many cases, cities are even going beyond national commitments. In some instances, even working to counter official national positions. My question is, where do you think cities are having the greatest impact in terms of climate actions? Mayor McGovern. I, I, sure, thank you. You know, I think because cities can implement and pass policy uh, a little more quickly than at the state level or certainly at the federal level, it allows us the opportunity to really take the lead and to set the example for other cities and, and, and our state and country. And so it's, a, it's really a vital role that cities can play. I would just say, you know, just a quick sort of example is Cambridge becoming the, the largest city on the East Coast to ban plastic bags, mm. right? And now the state is looking at banning plastic bags across the state. So, you know, it's that type of, if we get out in front and we show that things can work mm -hmm. and we show what's possible, then others will follow. We can do that at the municipal level much better and much easier than uh, the further up you go. That power of setting an example and being unafraid That's right. to step out and take the lead. Mayor Versner? Yeah, I think we are, we are in the direct dialogue with the citizens. And we noticed that uh, they are forcing us. We are willing to do so. So why not do so? So, for example, normal school in Heidelberg, they use about very small school, about 150 to 200,000 euro per year for energy demand. The same school gets about 20,000, so 10% of the money for education, for, for books, for computers. And this is crazy. So why do we don't change the system? So if you optimize the, the energy bill of this school by changing the awareness of uh, the school kids, you raise so much money and give this money back to the school to get more computers, get more tools for education, it makes sense. And everybody in a sense is. So that's the reason why the city council is passing. We wanted to buy just 100% green energy for schools and kindergartens. We're implementing energy standards, which show 
that since eight years, no building in Heidelberg should be built without the zero emission standard. And it's done. Eagle, if the national standard is much lower. So you can achieve this and you get also the understanding from the city council that you need some money for this, but it's also creating a new economy, a green economy, and this creates new jobs. So it's also a job creating machine. It's not nothing against jobs. And this is very important to notice. Many cities in the U.S. I know are, are really realizing the power of local purchasing. Often city governments are the fourth, fifth, six largest employers in their regions. So use of kind of what you will and won't buy, I think, is hugely powerful. You also, though, talked about regulation and this incentives of putting money that's saved back in. Do mayors in German cities have control of the school systems? Do they have authority in the school systems? Yeah, we are responsible for all the buildings, what we need for the buildings, not for paying the teachers. Uh, but uh, therefore, green purchasing is uh, very important for us. And that's uh, one of, of, of our targets to reduce our CO2 emissions by doing so. And it's also helpful. Another example, we set up a subsidy program for private households if they make a very good retrofitting. So if they want to paint their house, it makes no sense if they don't put on an insulation. If they just paint the house, it's very easy and it's sure. just a few money more. So we give them a subsidy and by spending a three euro, we create 10 euro of investment, which supports the industry and creates new jobs. So it's also in this field, absolutely makes sense to do so. It's not only a, a climate question. And then you close the gap between economic growth, but more in the green way and climate change. Some very tangible examples. I appreciate that. I want to talk about whether that adds up and adds up to enough. The author, Benjamin Barber, who wrote the book, If Mayors Ruled the World, there's a provocative book title for you, used to say that, quote, the path forward lies before us, obvious but unchartered. Why not let cities, the most networked and interconnected, rule the world? Let cities do what states cannot. Again, it's a provocative statement, but what I wonder is, are the actions at the local level enough to make a difference globally by the end of this century? You both are well aware of the Paris Agreement and what standards have been set nationally for countries. Can the actions at a local level add up? And just what are your thoughts about that cumulative effort that's going to be needed? Yeah, um, I have not read the book, but love the title. <laughs> you know, do we have a choice? Good point. Right? Do we have a choice? You know, if Cambridge became the most environmentally sound, sustainable city, we're one city and we're a small city at that, at 115,000. That is not enough, right? It's clear that that is not enough. But to do nothing or to say, well, you know, it's only, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's only going to advance us a little bit, so let's wait for someone else to do it, that's reneging on our responsibility of creating a healthy and safe environment for our constituents. So we have no choice. The biggest issue in Cambridge is not about whether we should address climate change, but are we moving fast enough? Um, we're doing a lot of great things, but we still have a lot of folks in our community who, who believe, and I think rightfully so in, in a lot of areas, we need to move faster and do more. Um, but again, you know, and, and our cities, I think, have a, an extra responsibility or, 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 or an increased responsibility because we are popular cities that attract business. And so we get to say to our corporate partners, when you build that building, 
It has to be an energy efficient building. We can do that and the businesses will still come. Sure. There are lots of cities around the United States where businesses have left. And if you want to attract those businesses back, you have to give them things, not ask them for things. We get, Cambridge doesn't give our companies anything. We don't give them tax breaks. We don't give them infrastructure. We demand that they do more and they still come. So I, I think cities like ours that are popular and a desirable place for biz, people to do business, we have an extra responsibility to lead the way. Say just a, a word or two more about being pushed by the people. In other words, you said in some respects they can get out ahead of you. Yeah. That's really quite encouraging to hear. Um, and it goes to Barber's point about uh, being kind of the most networked and interconnected, yeah. that you feel that pressure from the people to yeah. keep moving. Yeah, and you know, Eckerd mentioned earlier that um, and everybody has a role to play in this dance, right? So the activists have a role to play to hold us accountable, to push us, to, yeah. to, to push us out of our comfort zone. Um, but sometimes they don't always fully understand how complicated it is to do things until they're seeing the other side mm -hmm. of the coin, right? So that's kind of where the discussions that, that we get into is competing interests. And you know, if you move, a government just inherently moves more slowly just because it, it takes longer to do things, there's more bureaucracy. So we need those outside voices consistently pushing us. And that pressure. And that pressure. Now, do we always get to where they're 100% happy with what we do? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But we need that pressure to keep us moving. Sure. Any thoughts? I think the ideas of Benjamin were really great. If mayors rules the world, wow. But it's not just an idea from Benjamin. It's really a deep understanding of policy. Because we are, as mayors, directly linked to citizens. So we are not re-elected. Uh, of course, national governments are also not re-elected if they are not making a good job, but they are quite far. Every day we discuss with our citizens about climate change and the policy. Uh, this, year, this week, I had a big debate with more than 700 people in a huge hall about a new train station. I need the new train station for expanding the mass transport system. But the people don't want them on the green field. They want them on a brown field. But I have no brown field at the moment in a downtown area. So they wanted to place it outside. And I said, no, we have to place it inside because otherwise it makes no sense for a train station. So there is also, if, you, if you're fighting for uh, climate change, it's not easy to implement it. So you have to, on the daily work, get the understanding of the people why. And that's totally different if you're working on a national side. But on the other hand, we must say, of course, we as mayors don't want to take over the role as national uh, partners. We just want to say, give us a fair seat on the UN, on the international agreements, then it's a fair deal. Because we are uh, not only the driving force, we are also the implementation level. So if we are not integrated as fair partners, it's like when we as cities are not talking with our NGOs or without our Friday for Future initiative. This is crazy. And this is vision of Benjamin who passed away too early, in my opinion, but has a great idea. And it is the asking people to, and I said this earlier and I say it all the time, you know, it's easy to be a good progressive until you're asked to sacrifice for something. And so in Massachusetts, our train system is horrible. Boston is the oldest subway system in the country, and it, it still is. Let's put it that way, right? But the legislature had proposed a 1%, a 1 cent, I'm sorry, not 1%, a 1 cent per gallon gas tax with the money going directly to improve transportation, and it was defeated. Yeah. 
And so, you know, until we start saying, look, I, I get it. This Maybe this costs me a little bit more money in taxes or maybe this costs me a little bit more money to fill up my car or what have you. Maybe I'll drive less if it costs more money. But that aside, you know, we're not going to get to where we need to be. So people need to, it's, it's, talk is great, you know, but talk is cheap, as they say. Where, what are you going to do? And what action are you going to take? And what are you going to sacrifice to make these, the, the changes that we need to make? It's also maybe a, a hop into the discussion sure. because it's uh, very important because um, normally everybody is believing these ideas and then if it comes to the point that we need money for it, it stops. But uh, we have to make clear, adaptation, uh, we all notice it's getting hotter. Yeah, What we're doing is we are buying ventilators as crazy and climatization and we spend an awful money more for climatization. This is much more money for any future-oriented CO2 reduction program. And that's the point where we say if we wait too long, the adaptation costs will be tremendous, tremendous. And this is not taken into account. So if you have a really long-term economic balance, you will notice that anybody who's waiting uh, is crazy. But we also, I mean, climate change and, 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 and the environment, we can't look at it in a silo, right? This is social justice. It's economic justice. You know, if we, the metro Boston area is incredibly expensive. A one-bedroom apartment in, in, in Cambridge is almost $3,000 a month. And it is changing the face of our community because only a certain group of people can live there. Yeah. And so if we had high-speed rail, if folks don't know the Boston area, Worcester, Massachusetts, the second largest city in the state, is 45 miles from Boston. Probably takes you almost two hours to get back and forth because of traffic. If we had high-speed rail where people could live in Worcester and get into Boston to work in 20 minutes, people could give up their cars, people could move out, out of the city. So we really have to think regionally and we have to think of climate change as also social justice. And if you have someone who cannot live in Cambridge and, leads, and needs to live 30, 40 minutes away, and you don't have a transit system that they can rely on, they're going to have to own a car. They're going to have to drive into the city. That's an expense to them, more traffic, more congestion, more pollution. So we need to, you know, this is a social justice issue as well. In my role, uh, working every day in a transatlantic way, this is one of those areas, mass transit and high-speed rail, that Europe has clearly out been way out front on and the U.S. has lagged on. And so there is benefit to transatlantic conversations in this regard. You both were part of a project we did at the German Marshall Fund called Energy Allies. And um, I watched your teams from your cities kind of learn and develop from each other. Let's tie this up by talking about what you think your most successful policy has been on climate change. Um, kind of the thing that you would recommend other cities to have a look at. What would you love to kind of see other cities uh, follow your lead on that uh, should be replicable and, and would make a big impact? I might start, um, I would say it's absolutely important to be a city of dialogue because mm -hmm. without this dialogue, you can't overcome the barriers which are coming up uh, by the implementation phase. Uh, and the second point, which is very important, you should be empowered. For example, cities in Europe or especially in Germany, we have the responsibility for the whole trams and buses. We have the responsibility for energy. So we run our own energy utilities. So you have a quite powerful position beside your administration. And this can change 
uh, whole city quite might much quicker. That's very important to empower cities. That's also our mission when we work together with the General Marshall Fund uh, that we're changing experience but also empower each other. There is a movement now in Germany and in Europe to create new energy utilities for cities which were not uh, mm. having such utilities. And that's yes. good, yeah, because it empowers you. It's like having an own city bank. So cities in Germany, they have their own city bank. We call it Sparkasse. Mm -hmm. uh, and this uh, gives loans to uh, small and medium enterprises. So you have a direct link also to the economic growth. And this means if you empower the local level or the city's level, they can act much quicker and much better. That is my really... So dialogue and empowerment. Um, I want to follow up just a bit on the dialogue piece. Uh, we had a questioner during our recent panel uh, ta talking about skepticism about the private sector. And I think that in Heidelberg, when you say that you have to be a city of dialogue, give me a sense about kind of the unusual relationships that you might have to do to tackle an issue like this. Um, you bring in the private sector and I yeah, imagine, example, right. Yeah, for, so, example, for example, we started a subsidy program for small and medium enterprises and we noticed, we noticed that they were strongly willing to go with us into a more green economy, but they have no staff because they were not big companies, yeah, which have an own unit, energy unit, or yes. environmental unit. So we support them for free. They change their policy, they change their energy consumption, they are getting much more efficient, and the interesting thing is they survive better than other companies outside because they were uh, better uh, prepared for the future. Less energy costs, more money for products, better quality of products. So it was a win-win situation. Yes. And the companies understand, wow, this is a good example. And now from the beginning, we had five to 10 companies. Now we have more than 100 companies in our city who, is, who are in the program. And maybe they were not at the beginning all climate friendly or right. green, but now they said, wow, what a good thing. And you support us and we can be a partner now also in this movement. Yeah. yeah, and you know, Cambridge, we do a lot of collaboration, but it's not easy collaborate because people have such strong feelings and there is a lot of distrust. Uh, certainly, you know, there's a lot of distrust in, in Cambridge about the federal government right now. You know, you can only do so much to influence that. So a lot of that anxiety and trust gets turned inward. And so there's a, you know, elected officials in Cambridge must also be corrupt or must also be, you know, um, and how do you get everybody at the table to pull in the same direction? You don't always have to like everybody you work with, mm -hmm. right? You know, but you have to work with them and you have to figure out for the good of the community, how do we all work together, listen to each other, uh, uh, try to take the other perspective uh, to get us to a better place. There's a lot of, in Cambridge, there's a lot of, uh, people on two sides of the issue around development in our city. Some people feel that we have too much development. Some people who feel that we need more development. Um, some people who think developers are terrible, horrible people. Some people who th think that they're not. Um, and so, you know, how do you get those, those sides to, you know, to, to come together? Development is going to happen. And either you bring everyone together to have a seat at the table to try and figure out how to do it well, 
or you leave it up to the private market to figure it out, and you're going to end up in a place worse off than where you think you're going to end up if you just had a conversation. So we're very determined to try and bring... Uh, we, we have more task forces than you can shake a stick <laughs> at in Cambridge. Uh, but they include Lots of engagement. Lots of engagement. And, you know, you, ha you have to do that. And, again, you don't always end up in a place where everybody is thrilled. Uh, not everybody gets everything that they want, but you move forward. And that's what you got to do. Keep moving forward. Well, those are good words to close on. I want to thank both of you for joining us today and for the really hard work that you're doing in your respective cities. And also to thank you for the support of the German Marshall Fund and, and your activity in our program, Energy Allies. With that, I think we'll close here from Brussels. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. Out of Order is produced by Sydney Simon and Zachary Tarrant. New episodes will be available every other Thursday. Subscribe and download on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts.